I'm just warning you, Dave, I'm not going to do any editing on this show. So, Mike O'Doherty's already been extremely political. We've got to watch out for this whole thing. So, <laughs> let's get started with the recording and uh, we'll, uh, we'll make it Model Rail Radio Show 150. Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbelay and this is being recorded live on Skype January 5th, 2019. Happy New Year, everyone. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. This is show 150. It's going to be two shows. I'm anticipating roughly five hours of audio, although I'm going to cut out some of the white space. And I'm probably going to post this unedited in two parts, similar to the way I did show 100, just to get the audio out as fast as possible. We've got a wide variety of folk on the call, and uh, we're adding new people constantly. Uh, but I wanted to start with uh, Roger Kawaj. Roger, do you have audio? Hi, Tom. How are you? Let me, I got your name completely wrong. I've completely butchered your surname. It's it's Kajawa. Kajawa. Let me do that again, even though I'm not going to wear that list. Let me do that again. I'd like to welcome Roger Kajawa. Roger, you and I had some correspondence a while back. You guys have got a national coming up, I think, in 2020. What's going on with your model railroading hobby currently? Well, do um, you still want us to introduce ourselves to the... Why MLM? not? Yeah, let's do that formality. <laughs> okay. Uh, my name's Roger Kajawa. I've been modeling the Atlantic and Great Western for about 30 years, actually. Uh, it was a real railroad back in the 1800s, which I didn't know about and when I came up with the name. And uh, it's a modern Class 1 railroad that runs from the Atlantic coast to the Missouri River. But I only model a small portion of it in HO from Chicago up to Milwaukee and a couple branch lines. And in terms of the hobby, what, is, what has changed on your layout since you last called in? Well, I tried something different, and I looked at my railroad as the... Uh, customer instead of the railroad. Interesting. And I was looking at my industry. One of my industries is Champion Paper. And I noticed that it had kaolin cars, which is used in making the paper, uh, from a couple different manufacturers. And I thought, you know, a company like that would probably only buy from one company. So I decided that Georgia Kaolin got the contract. And so all the other Kaolin cars went up for sale on eBay. And I started doing that with most of my industries, figuring, you know, they're going to try to get the best price. So I also looked at how far cars would ship. Like uh, I had a Montana Railink wood chip hopper. And I figured, well, they're probably not going to ship wood chips from Montana all the way to Wisconsin. So I sold that and I concentrated on cars that were more in my region. So this is an interesting downsizing, but also prototype meeting mechanism. Have you heard anyone else have do it, that had done this previously, or is this a, an idea that you've come up with? I haven't heard of anybody doing this, but uh, I'm sure other people are doing it. It has helped me downsize mm. and concentrate more on my railroad, and the. Uh, I think it makes it look more prototype. Certainly. Now, that was exactly my thinking, that what you're doing here is yeah, reducing a lot of the clutter, both in terms of the physical space, but also in terms of the prototype. And do you have folks over to operate on a regular basis? It's been a while since I've had anybody over. I actually, in the thinning process, got rid of a staging yard. Interesting. And the staging yard is now becoming a new town. Mm. Uh, I'll post some pictures on the, on the uh, Facebook page. Um, the staging yard has now become a grain elevator for a farmland co-op, and they're going to service with a short line, actually bought the track, is my uh, my theory behind it. They bought an abandoned line, and they're going to re revamp the co-op 
and they're going to serve uh, the co-op and then interchange with MyRero. So it kind of gives me a, a chance to even freelance within the freelancing. Certainly, certainly. But it's interesting because you're freelancing with the view that you're also trying to create something as prototypical as possible. So it's an interesting kind of combination of both methodologies. Yeah, it 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 is. It gives you a chance to have some freedom, but you're all still you're still uh, constricted by the prototype. You know, you don't want to have something really odd. You want to, you know, it's more like the Utah belt. Most people are familiar with that. You want to be prototype yet still have a little freedom. Certainly, certainly. So in terms of your area, I know you're very active in your area as well. Do you operate on other folks' layouts? Are you part of a round robin? Is anything like that going on? Yeah, there's uh, three major layouts in the area that we operate. One is uh, Kerry's layout. He has a freelance line. Uh, Norfolk Southern CSX and his own railroad that run in Ohio. And then my friend Mike Brochiers, he has the Great Lakes and Southern. He takes his line and overlaid it on the actual lines that came through Peoria. Interesting, interesting. So in terms of the kind of operation on that layout, what kind of stuff do you do? Um, on my railroad, it's pretty much point to point. No, no, no. I'm talking about the railroad you just described where he overlaid oh, it on Peoria. Yeah. Um, Mike's runs from staging yards, which represent anything outside of the area of Peoria. Mm. And so his railroad is really modeled maybe about 10 miles of real railroad. Cool. So it's very prototypical is that I used to work on the railroad in Peoria, Mm. and I can go to his layout, and I can sit there, and I can go, yeah, that's (laughs) what it looks like. Interesting, interesting. So, gosh, that's, that's a really interesting layout to have. So he's got a bunch of staging which represents the outside world, and then he just represents Peoria. And I'm assuming Peoria had a, a lot of like internal switching, and what kind of industries are based in Peoria? There was a lot of heavy manufacturing. Uh, Caterpillar's mm. headquarters was Gosh. here. Laternal Westinghouse was here, uh, turned into Wabco and now Komatsu. Mm. There was an awful lot of grain facilities uh, that were associated with the distilleries and uh, beer making. Yeah. And those... Mike is an expert on this, but he has told me how that grain coming in for distilleries turned in, the byproducts turned into things like uh, it became a great stockyard facility because they had the extra feed. And then there was tanneries, you know, and there was bottle manufacturing for the the breweries and can manufacturing for the, you know, the beer companies. So everything kind of fed off itself. That's amazing. I mean, it sounds like quite a traffic jam when you describe those industries, because obviously all those industries need to be fed almost continuously. And in terms of Peoria, I mean, is it it's Peoria linear, or is there a bunch of stuff coming in and out at various points in Peoria? Uh, Peoria kind of looks like a spider oh, okay. uh, with, with many legs sticking out. <laughs> at one time, there was like 13 different railroads that came in and out Gosh. of Peoria, but most of them ended. There was only one uh, Toledo Purian Western that went straight through. Uh, everything came in and interchanged either with each other or through the railroad I worked for, which was the Purian Pekin Union. It was a terminal railroad that had its own yard. Mm. Fascinating stuff. Gosh. Yeah. Gosh, yeah it's, a, it's a neat town. Terrific. Terrific. So you guys have, is it a regional that's coming up? Is it a, what, what do you have coming up in 2020? Uh, it's the uh, NMRA uh, 2020 regional, Midwest region. Right. Uh, we're just in the planning stages now. We have a hotel. We're trying to figure out clinics, uh, layout tours, that type of thing. Mm. And I've been penciled in there. Please keep me penciled in. 
Certainly, two years is hard to predict, but uh, irrespective of what happened actually when I tried to sign into Mawa, I was reflecting on it before I started the call today, and I thought there was so much interesting stuff that happened in that New Jersey trip that it, it, there needed to be a catalyst, and irrespective of the sign-in <laughs> procedure, I think we can move that one aside. Um, and certainly as an opportunity to meet a wide variety of really fascinating people, regionals are a good place to do that. So certainly keep me penciled in. There are a few life-changing related things that might, uh, might stop me from coming, but I, I hope I maintain on the uh, potential clinician guest speaker roster. Oh, that would be cool. Well, thank you very much for kicking off uh, Show 150, Roger. It's been an awfully long time since we've had a chance to chat. I mean, we do yeah. correspond through Facebook and various other means, but... Uh, yeah, I was really looking forward to catching up with you. So thank you for calling in. Well, thanks. And I, and I appreciate you and everybody who calls in because I usually listen to you guys when I'm working on my railroad. So it feels like I have company. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I hope the increase in frequency has been appreciated in particular over recent months. Certainly, I'm looking around at my podcasting room, which is now habitable once again. And the electrics <laughs> took a bit out of me. But uh, yeah, I, I had to get out more model rail radio shows. And I know you in particular a fan of the show, and hopefully you've enjoyed the frequency recently. Oh, yeah, I have. Thanks. Well, great chatting, Roger. Plenty of folks on the call. Please stay on the call. You know how we do things. And, uh, okay. Yeah, good chatting. Thanks. Okay, we've got a wide variety of folk on. Uh, Marshall Stoll, do you have audio? Marshall yes, Stoll? you have to, have to give me a minute to not switch a problem. over to it. Not a problem. I should warn you in advance, I'm not doing any editing on the show. It is coming out just as it's being recorded, very similar to show 100, so... Great. We'll always fix up flubs somehow, but uh, I, I think actually it's probably interesting for the listeners to hear what one of these shows sounds like raw more than anything. So just a warning. <laughs> well, that should be better now. Wonderful, wonderful. So Marshall, it's been an awfully long time since we've had the chance to chat. Per the new listeners' request, Roger kicked it off already. Would you like to introduce who you are, who you are, your model railroading interests, and then we can talk about what you've been doing recently? Sure. Um, Marshall Stull, and I am into small layouts and modular layouts. I run a website called smallmr.com, and I'm big in the Fremo community, um, doing a lot of different shows and trying to get more involved in the last few years. In just the last two, couple of years, also been more involved in the NMRA, Division One of uh, NCR. Wonderful, wonderful. And in terms of your local NMRA, are you... Are you local to Roger? You're a bit further north than Roger, I seem to think. So are you a different Yeah, you know, I was listening to that, and <laughs> I'm also on the planning committee for 2020 NCR meet. So I was going to look up. I'm not sure which division he is with. Because <laughs> yes. he said Midwest. Yes. Um, what, what division are you in? Uh, NCR. NCR, okay. So I even have to look up what that means. <laughs> <Very> <laughs> National Central Region. Very so good. Our region covers covers pretty much all of Michigan, Ohio, a piece of Indiana. Sorry, just adding people to the call while also doing this stuff. Interesting. Yeah, the NMRA. I mean, part of the fun in Mawa was actually describing what region I was a part of, and given the fact that there are three or at least two with the name Pacific in it, I was like, well, maybe I'm this one. Maybe I'm this one. You know, always important, the naming things. So in terms of your 2020, what kind of stuff are you planning towards? Well, just like Roger, we're just in the beginning stages of the plan. Right. We've got our hotel set. We are looking at what layouts we can have. We are fortunate because the hotel that we've got in the Toledo area this time 
is quite large with a lot of different meeting rooms. So we're mm. going to be able to put in quite a few layouts and things to see. Now, we're actually looking at, I'm trying to promote putting in a larger Fremo layout, try to make a Midwest meet mm. for Fremo in that area. Well, you could fill 200, 200 linear feet quite easily with the Fremo in your area, maybe even 400 um, based on some of the stuff that I've seen. So yes, large meeting rooms would be very useful. You could also snake it out of meeting rooms. I'm not sure how that works with regards to fire and various other contingencies. But one of my favorite things with Show 100, although it was N-scale, but still uh, there was a Fremo layout downstairs that snaked through the entire downstairs of the house. It was quite extraordinary what could happen. Yes, yes. But, uh, yeah, with fire, maybe they don't allow that, but who knows? Who knows in the Midwest? Anyway. Well, that's one of the, the good things about this hotel is that all the conference rooms are linked by removable walls. Ooh. So unless we get, like, really, really big, we should be able to contain it within one area. Amazing, amazing. So Yeah, so, I mean, we're blessed with this one. Wonderful, wonderful. So in terms of since you last called in, what has been going on with your model railroading hobby? What, what's new? I've been concentrating on the Fremo more. Mm. Um, back in 2017, I'm part of the Southwest Michigan Fremo group. Or I mean, Southeast Michigan Fremo group. Okay. And we lost one of our primary members late 2017. He literally was supposed to be at a show one day and called in sick. And then it passed away by the time the show was over. Oh. It was that sudden. Um, he had been sick for a while and hadn't told anybody, but oh, he was the glue. His name was Bill Gothop. He was the glue that held our Fremo group together here in Southeast Michigan, quite mm. honestly. So I've spent the last year and a half trying to help keep things going and maintain the level of shows that we used to have and coordinate the effort as much as I can, help out as much as I can. It is fascinating, actually, when these people depart, you do really notice what the, the, the subtleties and the nuances of the stuff that they did. In terms of the oh, stuff yes. that you've had to fill in for, and this I think is actually good for a, a number of our listeners, what kind of like nuances have you missed that you're now having to do? Well, he was our DCC expert in Digitrax. Mm. He had all the gear. So what had happened there is they had an estate sale, and one of our other members mm. approached and said he'd buy all the DCC equipment that was used for the Fremo, uh, and he did on behalf of the group, and he now holds that. So one of our other people has stepped forward and become the DCC expert. I've taken over trying to promote the group and the uh, websites, and uh, a couple of the shows I now coordinate who, go, who goes. I, I act as the run chief for those Interesting. meets now. Interesting. So everyone's trying to fill in a little bit here and there as much mm. as they can. I mean, one of the things that we've noted in the software industry is that the fact that when you find these, these points of failure, you have to fill in with multiple people going forward. Is that something that you're doing as a group or are multiple people stepping up for the various aspects of the things that these, this gentleman used to do? Yes, but I think it's more because of our expertise. Like, I'm not a Digitrax expert. I know other DCC systems, but not Digitrax. Phil, the other person in our group, he stepped forward and took over the, the Digitrax part because he has a home layout and he's worked with it before and <clears throat> although he hadn't done a lot of work with uh, modular dcc setups he took it to, to heart and uh, got some training from some other people and figured it out my area seemed kind of natural just to try to do what i could for these few uh, meets that we have yes i think the run chief is an interesting role and certainly one that i've seen locally uh, with silicon valley lines uh Richard Murphy, Murph, who calls in periodically, uh, does that role, but tries to uh, bring a number of folk up to skill. 
just in case he's away and these kind of things. But yeah, interesting yes. times, Marshall. So in terms of this modular group, how many, how many folks, how many modules, what kind of size is it? We had five regular members mm. here in Southeast Michigan. Uh, we all, of course, we have a few people who always say that they're building something, but they have yet to, to do anything. But five regulars, and Bill was the, the lead person. He had founded the group several years ago. Interesting. So that, you know, that was difficult. He and Phil together, I should say, founded it together, and, and uh, Bill did most of the work. So interesting. So in terms of show frequency, how many shows a year would you display at? Uh, at a peak, Bill had us participating in four or five shows. Interesting. Different, different points around the Midwest. Mm. He didn't, you know, actually we had more shows outside of Michigan than in Michigan, quite honestly. Mm. Interesting. Uh, yeah. So right now, I think we're down to three regular shows during the year, but then we could pop up at any meet that happens to want us. Very and that's cool. what I'm trying to do is to try to get a little more frequency and get into a little bit bigger shows and try to make sure that the Michigan shows that we like or that we all attend, that we have a presence. Yeah. So in terms of Michigan shows, how many in a year are in your vicinity that you're considering now? Last year, we only did three. Okay. But no, I'm saying projecting forwards. I mean, I assume Michigan, from my experience alone, just finding secondhand bookstores that had basically every copy of Model Railroad and Magazine in their basement. I kind of get the sense yes. that Michigan is a hub for the hobby, a sleeper cell, let us say, for model railroading. My view is um, I would think there would be at least a dozen shows in, in you know, at least the, I don't know what you call it, the southern continental part of Michigan as opposed to the <laughs> yeah, northern the, climbs. Um, yeah, yes, yeah. The, the southern part has a, has a lot of shows through the year. Mm. Some of them big, some of them small. Uh, it, it varies quite a bit, and each by each, you know, different division or club or what have you. So, yeah, we're looking at which ones would be best, you know, mm -hmm. and that's what I'm trying to do. Um, there are some who only want to do, um, or no, I shouldn't say only, but prefer to do private sessions, setups that would last four or five days Gosh. so that we could have time to do operating sessions and yeah. so on. Wonderful. So we're kind of trying to mix those things in. Interesting. Interesting. Yes. Now, when you say the size of the Michigan group, the, uh, there are three divisions, I believe, right now, two or three divisions that composed like Detroit plus the western and northern suburbs. It's like a, a four-county area, mm -hmm. which was all one division at one time. It was the largest in the country by far. Yes. And they split it into three different divisions. Right. And I think one of those divisions still holds the greatest membership in the country. Gosh. So, yeah, there is a lot. It's funny, actually, because I, I went to uh, Grand Rails and was just really thoroughly impressed with the density of uh, layouts and, and model railroaders in the Detroit area. I mean, mm -hmm. Detroit, as it's marketed externally, is like some smoking crater with just, you know, cops and bandits running around. But actually, there's a substantial density of, of you know, neighborhoods and layouts and, and folks that are still in the Detroit area. And I think that was something that I found quite juxtaposed to all the stuff that I see through the media is that there are still old neighborhoods in Detroit with people in there, you know, with their layouts and a bunch of stuff still operating in that area. Oh, sure. I mean, the area that I live in is actually very rural. I'm quite a ways out from the Detroit metro area. Hmm. And I'm surprised over the last few years how many layouts I've found just in this area. Yeah. And the, uh, when Division 6, which is the Wayne County, Detroit part of the NMRA has a meet or show and they do layout tours, 
everybody wants to go to it because, yes, there is a lot of layout tours. They're able to put together a good number every year. And I think one of the things that really caught me, and we do have a, a couple of these uh, participants call in periodically, is that these are really tight circles of friends. That I mean, this is the best aspect of the kind of camaraderie of model railroading. And certainly uh, the folks that hosted the uh, Detroit layout tours, there were a, a dozen or so gentlemen that were all, you know, they'd known each other for 30, 40 years. Um, and it really is fascinating, the kind of outreach that model railroading provides in this community. Um, so it was something that really impacted upon me that... Uh, these areas, are, they're not just, you know, kind of sleeper cells. They're actually communities of model railroaders that get together on yeah. a regular basis and, yeah, really highlight the benefits of the hobby. Yes, yes, there is. And they do. They really do. Um, until just a few years ago, really, I was not involved in the NMRA. I was one of those that looked at the NMRA and was like, why? <laughs> but I, you know, kind of putting my money where my mouth is now because I do understand you're only going to get out of the NMRA what you put to it. Certainly. Certainly. And so I have gotten involved. I've gotten more involved. I've, I've gotten myself on the committee for the 2020 show. Just different things like that to try to get involved and try to make change because there are some things that the NMRA does that I don't like. Mm -hmm. But if I'm not in there helping to change it, it's my own fault. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, in, in terms of your area as well, I mean, I... I've had problems with my area associated with the hierarchy and various other folks. And I think sure. your area has a breadth of really good modelers that are, as I say, are so centrally involved with this community aspect um, that I think, yeah, no, hats off to what you're doing, Marshall. And uh, thank you. Yeah, all the best with, uh, with getting more shows. So you, you kind of neatly avoided my question. I'm going to have to ask it for a third oh, time. Okay. <laughs> In terms of Michigan as a whole, or in terms of Michigan, just as within two hours' drive of where you are, how many mm -hmm. shows are there in a year? That's a good question. I'm not really sure. Okay. I, I would estimate, I mean, there's probably um, good shows, not mm -hmm. just, you know, probably nine, nine. I would think. Because I can say there isn't one every month, because mm. things do slow down. Yes. Uh, but, they, you know, they occur pretty regularly. Yeah. But, you know, I also attend a lot of, because I live in the south, very southern edge, mm -hmm. I attend a lot of things in Ohio as well. And mm. the northern Ohio, oh, yeah. I would swear there's almost as many <laughs> in northern Ohio as there is in the southeast Michigan area. Oh, yes, yes. It's stiff competition between those two areas. But yes. Oh, yes. And the, the division I'm in splits two counties in Michigan and two counties in Ohio. And uh, we meet uh, in Toledo. Interesting. Interesting. Well, Marshall, you've, you've painted an amazing picture today with words. Thank you very much for calling in. Any, any little final bits, any snippets, anything fascinating that you found in the past couple of months that you want to share with the listeners? Things that I've found in the last couple of months. You know what? When it, we've talked all about uh, modules and Freemo and stuff, but small layouts under 4x8 mm -hmm. and stuff, that's my other passion. So especially if they're, um, you know, 09, uh, ON30, 009, HON30, those are also the big thing with me. Mm. Have you, you found know? anything so, recently? Well, I'm working on a World War One layout, or I'm Ooh. trying to plan one. Interesting. But I'm trying to fit it into like 30 by 20. Interesting. Or 30 by 24, something like that. Mm -hmm. Very small that I can take to shows. And what narrow I, gauge What narrow gauge would you do? Would you do it in HO? Would you do it in O? What, what would you do? It's, um, it's going to be HON30 or 009. Mm. You know, it's going to be one or the other. I'm vacillating between the... the <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> right, the Bachman locomotives <laughs> and the mini trains locomotives, you know, and they're in both scales. They're both beautiful. Mm. Mm. Yes. Now, the, the First World War, just the train options in the First World War, we have a Bruce Wilson periodically. He doesn't call in as much as he once did, but uh, there's just so many options, as you say, and uh, it's just such a... Uh, I mean, it, it's the beauty is, is that you mix two of my favourite subjects. <laughs> World War <laughs> yes. modelling, be it one or two, like military yes. modelling of a certain level, and trains as well. So yes. I, I see yes. where you're coming from, Marshall. I see where you're coming from. Thank you very much for, uh, for calling in today, Marshall. It's great to catch up with you. And uh, yeah, please keep in contact and uh, let us know how the Module Club goes and uh, if you're able to increase the number of shows. Absolutely. I'll try to keep in touch. Better touch than I have the last year. Yeah, we can work on that. Anyway, good talking okay. with you, Marshall. Take care. You too. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Well, we have a, I'm not sure if people could just type here or something in the message because I'm seeing not a lot. I see a, people on the call, but I don't see them actively connected. So I'm not sure if they're listening in or what they're doing. But Simon Hill, I do see you there. So why don't we start with you? As I think your audio is still up. Happy New Year to you, Tom. Happy New Year to you, Simon. I will be seeing you in roughly a month now. I'm really, really, really looking forward to it. I'm going to jet down from Wilmslow to London and make my way to Sidcut Station. One of the aspects that I don't talk about with your crew enough, which probably is the wrong time currently in terms of the weather and these kind of things, but I will be going to Martin's home, my hope is, I will be yep. seeing his garden layout. And one of the things that fascinates me about what you guys have perfected is low-speed steam, low-speed steam operations. And when I look at the track plans that uh, folks that are into steam in North America, I mean, we started this podcast with Chris Abbott. Chris Abbott talks about these steam ups, the kind of sending trains flying around until they run out of uh, fuel, hopefully. You know, these kind of experiences, steam at speed, in a very kind of jovial loop around atmosphere, that's clearly one aspect of this hobby. But the stuff that you guys have been able to do, in part with a device coming from my, my birth nation of Australia, there are a variety of techniques that you've used to get low power steam working correctly. Can you refresh folks who haven't heard your recipe associated with getting this thing done right? Uh, obviously, the easiest way is using a slow-mo. And as you say, that's from Australia, which is a very good product, but it doesn't fit all the locos. Mm. Um, the other thing is you don't need to push the regulator right open and also making sure that there's no stickiness within the engine and you don't need the maximum pressure. Obviously, the slightly lower pressure will mean it goes slightly slower. Um, also, it, it will run a lot longer as well at slightly lower speeds and it's it's more prototypical. Mm. The only problem is when you're running online to other people, they tend to hurt around like a scalded rat coming out of a hole. Oh, yeah. So you have to sort of teach them the art of controlling them properly. I think a lot of people are just happy to see them going around in circles, but it, it takes away the realism aspect from it. But you know, a lot of people that build their own locos, they they perfect the art because you're managing the construction of it, so you know how the bits work. A lot of the ready-to-run locos, because of the valve gear, the way it's configured, it's only forward or reverse, mm. and that's it. So you haven't got real control over the valve events, but you can just be careful in the way you manage the fire, manage the water levels, and that, that does help. I mean, Martin's um, I've got the same attitude as myself. And we also run the big railway at Breadgar. We don't dash about because it, nothing looks worse than something that's flying along. And, of yeah. course, you, you, the, the run lasts longer as well. Certainly, certainly. And in terms of fuel and these kind of things, are you using butane, are you using ethanol? What are you using as your, your main fuel on these locomotives? Um, 
they're a, a mix of butane and uh, propane. Um, mm. Obviously, in the winter, you have to be a bit careful because it's a lot colder. So you increase, I think, if you just increase the um, butane, uh, butane element of that. Um, coal is obviously the best way, but it's a <laughs> very, because of the construction side of the boiler, it's so small on the firebox. So it, it's, it's a really small area to manage. Um, methylate spirits is still used mm-hmm. quite widely. Um, the only problem with that is it's, it's very difficult to control. You often see engines completely on fire when they get it wrong because yes. of the amount of mess they put into it. But the gas, as long as you're careful with the gas um, and it doesn't freeze up, you're you're away. I mean, most locos will give you probably 20 minutes of running um, without any issues at all. But the thing that fascinated me, I mean, particularly talking to Martin over over recent months uh, as he built his, his gun layout, is just how low-speed operations can impact even the design of a layout. And I think this is certainly something that I find fascinating in distinction with the stuff that you guys do and the stuff that you typically see in North America or on the East Coast in Canada. Um, and I think it's really fascinating to see how you've changed your garden layout design based on this kind of operation. Absolutely. I mean, probably what we've learned from listening to podcasts, like your own one, because it's opened up a world of operations which makes things a lot more interesting instead of just running around in circles. So I know Ken's got the same view and Martin's layout is based on our, our input mm-hmm. on several um, occasions when we visited. I know he, he put it all down and said, this is what I'm going to do. And we all went, uh, actually, no, if you move this point and extend that side in. But you get to a balance where having enough space in the yard to make sure it doesn't look overcrowded, configure the turnout so that you're not um, all tight in one area, give it plenty of space to move along. And that way you've got a lot more opportunity, especially with the shunting in the yard, clearing the main line. I mean, Martin's benefit, he's got space to use, but a lot of people haven't. So you have to sort of, the balance is, what do you want to do? Do you want to run trains or shunt them? I think mean, you need the balance between the two. Certainly, certainly. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing Martin's garden layout. I anticipate that the weather will not be in our favour, but just at least to see it um, would be a wonderful thing. And of course, a substantial portion of my trip down to your part of the world is seeing the amazing work that you have done. It seems like in only months, but I know it's been slightly longer. In terms of your layout, in terms of uh, what's loosely described, I guess, as a shed layout, how do you describe your layout? Um, yes, it's a shed layout. But Very it's, good. It's <laughs> really, really just a big shelf layout that goes around the top of my workshop. Um, I had a bit of a break towards the end of last year. I'd have things crop up needed to do it, but I've got back into it now and just created a list of things that I want to try and achieve before you arrive. Mm. But... It, it breaks all the rules. There's duck unders because you can't get away from that. It's a bit cramped in certain areas, but I'm very limited by space. It's only 16 by 16. Yes. So I haven't got a lot of room, but what I've managed to cram into there is, is enjoyable. I mean, the last two operation sessions we've had, there's a lot of good feedback we've got from that. Um, and it's still very early days. It's it's still basically bareboard and track. Um, the wiring is nearly there, and it's now perfecting that area before I get into the scenic so what I don't want to do is have to sort of backtrack and start ripping stuff up Um, but there's lots of other things coming along like I don't mind doing a bit of rolling stuff and loco construction but I've put a few bits up yesterday I've just been playing around with just to get me back into it and it's a good way to sort of enjoy a few hours fiddling around with some bits and and looking at the layout and thinking well what's the next bit I want to do so Um, yes it's been good fun yeah I mean certainly something that I've enjoyed in your photos is spin casting which I, kn- yes. I knew you had in your arsenal, but I'd never actually, I don't think, seen 
uh, evidence of it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, it came along with the business, really, because I wanted to introduce um, white metal castings to complement the lost, lost wax brass castings. Sometimes, actually, the white metal castings can be a finer detail than the lost wax, but it's the costings work out about the same other than buying equipment to produce it. Um, mm. It is a bit of a learning curve to get the moulds working right, oh, yeah. get the metals right, but it's a very quick method. Um, and I've been using um, RTV rubber moulds that aren't vulcanised, so they don't last forever, but doing the, doing the costings based around probably 100 spins on the mould, it works out quite viable. Um, and the bits I've done for Martin, um, he's, in fact, he's, he's still got the bits to produce the kits. Um, and I just had these lying around thinking, oh, that might fit um, them chassis I'd looking at. So, But it's an enjoyable process. Although it does get a bit boring standing, just pouring white metal time after time. <laughs> Don't say months. it. Uh, Don't say it. But it's brilliant on a cold day like today. <laughs> Most definitely. Workshop up. Lovely. Yes. Um, yes, I mean, uh, not everybody's got a liking of white metal they seem to fear it in some ways it's, you know, it's difficult to handle difficult to solder it's dirty um, but like anything it's got, it's got its place within the kit and detailing world because it adds a lot of weight and it's it's quick to produce detail whereas lost wax brass in big plate work doesn't always work out as well in crispness and and costs uh, yeah you can have a look at the bits when you come over wonderful wonderful yeah it's certainly something i enjoyed when i was in the uk and i still have a number of the moulds that uh, that were made for me. And yes, as you say, it, nothing beats it on a cold day <laughs> to actually warm up the metal and start pouring accordingly. It's interesting, actually, because I did quite a bit when I was in the UK, and then I took it to Las Vegas. It didn't really have the same uh, charm in the Las Vegas heat that it had ah. in the UK. But no, it's such a... I think it's one of these skills that just can't be forgotten. Like, it's one of these skills that just has to be maintained as associated with a number of these things in the sobby. Uh, but yeah, wonderful. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you produce your own masters and then take it through uh, the, the mould making actually into casting and you can look at a piece you've actually produced yourself and you can repeat that time after time and get the same quality. Yes, it, it's, it's a very interesting process and it's very gratifying, really. Most definitely. Most definitely. What kind of metal blend do you use? I'm assuming it's almost all pewter, but what, what blend do you use? I'm using a white metal as against pewter because of the pewter being slightly higher temperature. Oh. Um, the, the limit on the RTV moulds is, oh, I can't remember, it's about 290, 300. Oh, okay. Uh, but the, the white metal I use is probably one of the more refined. It's more expensive, but the crispness of detail and the, and the quality on the plate, flat plates is better. You can get a lot of cheaper metals, and then the problem is they melt at a slightly lower temperature as well. This melts slightly higher than most, um, but the benefit is it's, it's good for detail. Yeah, one of the things I found fascinating in the UK was you could just order white metal very easily. You get like Absolutely. five kilogram blocks of the stuff turning up at work in small packages and always joking with your co-workers about how heavy do you think this thing is? Just pass it on them. <laughs> but yeah, no, it amazed me how easy it was to get access to white metal in the UK. It's far more difficult in this country. Uh, but in the UK, there are so many suppliers. So, yeah, you spoke for choice. Yeah, I think we did have an issue a few years ago where lead being the evil mm. of things, um, people were saying we're gonna, it's going to be banned, like the leaded solder, it's going to be banned, you know. But when you buy the, the product now, you just get a cautionary note with it saying this is a lead product, make sure you wash your hands. I mean, I've always used um, a skin barrier cream when I've used white metal, um, especially when you're using a casting machine and the fumes coming off the mask and a decent air supply to it. But if you, like anything, if you use it carefully, you know, there's no issue. And 
a lot of the if, if you take say like you the model figure world you, you wouldn't have ease of access and cost um of the, the models you buy so readily available yes without this you know sort of cottage industry that people are producing certainly certainly well i'm glad that you're continuing to continuing this aspect of uh of the shared hobby let us just say because yeah it certainly is wonderful to see uh, people still spin casting. When I saw your spin caster in the Facebook photos, I thought, I've got to have a chat with Simon about that before I head on into this part of the world. So, Simon, we have a lot of people on. I'm going to do this slightly out of order because we have your crew backing up, but we do have a few folks that called in earlier. They just weren't active through this. I should have let you know when we started this call, I'm not doing any editing on this one. I'm just releasing it as is. So thankfully, as normal, no political, no cussing, nothing like that. But always a pleasure to I am really, really, really looking forward to catching up with your crew um, in the UK. It's, it's going to be the highlight of my, what is a relatively pedestrian and administrative trip. But uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to catching up with you and your crew. So thank you uh, very much for extending the offer. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you, Tom, and we'll be in touch beforehand. Definitely, definitely. Well, Simon, you know how we do things. Uh, you might need to bring your audio up in the future, but please start the call. And thank you very much for calling in today. Thanks, Tom. Okay, uh, Alex Welsh, do you have audio? Alex Welsh? Alex Welsh. Is he muting and unmuting? Alex was one of the folks that uh, I wanted to chat with, but he wasn't showing active audio. Okay. Uh, well, maybe we will... Uh, no, I see Alex. Alex is there, so I'm not sure. Maybe he's just muting and unmuting. Alex? Alex Welsh? Alex Welsh. No, no. There we go. Now we got you. We got you loud and clear. No, no. Sorry about that. You're coming in incredibly loud, so if you can... I'm not sure... Move the mic or do something associated with the volume. But aside from that, it's wonderful. Let me see. Try again. Can you hear me? Yep, that's much better. That's much better. Uh, yeah. Like, I, I'd like to welcome on Alex Walsh. Alex, last time we chatted, you were getting very heavily involved with your club. Has any of that changed? What's going on with your model rail rating hobby? And actually, I probably should do this formally. We had a listener ask that everyone introduce themselves again. Would you like to introduce yourself and then talk a little bit about what's going on in your model rail rating hobby? Yep. Um, I'm actually, I've been, um, busy the last couple of months. Um, I bought a new basement. Wonderful. Yep. Um, and actually, um, I moved closer to the club and that, and that, my, my name's Alex Welch. I live in Holly, Michigan, but, um, I knew I'm walking the, uh, O-Scale Club, the, uh, Detroit Model Railroad Club, and also a member of, uh, Division 10 on the, uh, NMRA. Wonderful. And, O scale and HO. And in terms of the basement space, what what scale are you going to be doing in the basement? What could you introduce uh, your plans HO. for the basement? HO, interesting. Yeah, the problem I'm faced with though is that um, it's a finished basement, and my so I'm gonna figure out how I want, what I want to do there. Um, one of the, my other options is I was gonna go use uh, one of the spare bedrooms for a small layout because I, I don't want to do anything too huge because of. The last one I did I ended up getting out of hand, mm. and so and I'm in the process of now of taking that one down and just I'm just gonna because all I had up was bench work and some track, so I may, managed to save all the track and turnouts and all that stuff, and so and I'm just gonna get rid of all the wood and just start start new. Interesting, interesting. So what prototype, what area, what kind of stuff are you going to be modeling on the side? Uh, I haven't really picked, uh, my prototype. I like is the Sioux line. Mm. And um, so one of the things, you know, I was going to be kind of a freelance, Sioux inspired. My, um, so I was going to focus more, more on uh, operation, since that's what I like. 
Mm-hmm. But um, other than that, no, I haven't really thought no that far ahead of it yet. And uh, just because of moving and all this fun stuff that goes along with that, certainly. But um, can you yeah, talk I mean, a little bit about the lessons? I mean, you mentioned a layout that has gotten out of hand. Certainly, I think yeah. many in the hobby would understand that implicitly. But for you specifically, what does that mean and what have you learned from that and how are you going to use that experience not to have it happen again? Well, see, what happened was uh, several years ago, myself and another member from the club, one of his friends was getting rid of a layout. And uh, now not now by uh, Newark, Ohio. So him and I, we went down there on a weekend and uh, took down the layout. And, he, and I got all the wood from the layout. And it was way more than I ever intended to do. Mm-hmm. So, no, like any good modeler, I just decided to go gangbuster, you know, go all out on it. And then um, I just never really did much with it. I, you know, I worked out, you know, got some benchwork up and got a, two loops in, got Mr. Guy loop to loop in. And, um, and after I did that, I, I you know, life got in the way. And my, uh, then I decided to move and not, and now I, Wanted to downsize, and that way, you know, it's just, you know, probably do like a 10 by 10 or something, you know, something smaller and that's more manageable mm-hmm. and that won't take, you know, years to finish. And I mean, historically, when you've called and you've mentioned your local club that you're a part of as well, yes. what kind of aspects can you take from the club to the new layout? What kind of things are you, um, in terms of scenery, in terms of bench work, these kind of things, any ideas? Yeah, definitely scenery and bench work is what I'm taking away from the club and also, you know, just. The fact that, no, I know that those guys could come over and help me with it. And, in fact, one of the members of the club, he only lives a block over from me. Mm. And, um, and actually, my new place, like, I'm only three quarters of a mile from the club. Gosh. Yeah. So, I'm like, I, I, I can walk there. Very cool. Very cool. But, um, and in the community I'm in now, I, I love it. I work, I work at it. And, but, um, Yeah. The uh, club's doing pretty good. We are coming up on our 80th anniversary. Gosh. Or, I'm sorry, 85th anniversary. Gosh. And, um, yeah, we're one of the top 10 uh, oldest model railroad clubs in the country. Mm. But, uh, so we're, we're going to start doing some planning on that, you know, for that anniversary. Um, Is it the same location for 85 years, or have they moved locations oh, over the 85 years? Um, so we've had six locations, mm. which... Um, most the previous five is the one that we are in now is our sixth location. Okay, and we've been there since 1974. Gosh, gosh. And you no, know, we're in the old we're in an old movie theater. Wow. The one thing that that sucks about our club is parking. Mm. Because uh, Holly's I went like a small downtown, and so there's like not very much parking. And so and uh, one of the more annoying aspects is that they do a uh, festival around Thanksgiving and Christmas. And that's always brings a whole bunch of people. So like parking is always a pain. Mm-hmm. And, and actually I wasn't even fully moved in yet. And I was staying at the house. So I can just walk up to the club. So I didn't have to deal with parking. Yes. Well, that at least we'll, we'll save on that. A lot has changed in model railroading since the seventies. What yeah. in terms of like modifying the layout, how, how big is the club layout stuff with? I mean, you mentioned it was in a, a movie theater, which means it should be pretty yes. big. Uh, what kind uh, of maintenance do you guys do to like bring the club, bring the layout to like a contemporary era in terms of model railroading? Well, in '04, uh, we switched to DCC, mm-hmm. and um, so 
we've been upgrading everything as it goes along, and now we're going to start uh, distributing because right now uh, we we uh, got a uh, NCE system, and one of the things that we that we have a problem, you know, it's kind of annoying though, is that we only use the the um, pro cabs for throttles, and not very many engineer cabs. I keep saying that we need to get more of those because we reached our limit for the pro cabs, those 18 slots. But um, we we've up, you know, we put in a remodeled one of the towns on the layout, made it more switching friendly. We're finishing up our big passenger terminal and our basement. Uh, the layout itself is probably about 36 by 120. Gosh. And yeah, it's basically, uh, the, and then from the lowest point to the highest point is about seven feet ele- elevation difference. Mm. So basically you're always on a grade. Yes. And uh, the main line is about one and a half percent. And um, there's a couple spots where um, it's about two. And then uh, there's one one spot where it's like almost three, but mm. 99% of the time, what it is, is um, a reverse loop. And um, so like 99% of the time, you're always be going down it. You're not ever going to be going up it. Mm. And in terms of the number of folk, that are active club members. How big is the club? Uh, we got about uh, sixty total members. Mm. Um, uh, varying, we got varying levels of classes. Mm-hmm. Um, starting off at like with the, we got friends of the club, where basically, you no, know, you get the newsletter and uh, you get free open house. Mm. And we got associates, which are hundred dollars <laughs> a year. Yes, hundred one ten. Mm-hmm. But uh, so. Again, no voting rights and limited operating. Yes. And then we have our active members, and that's 240. Gosh. So, I mean, reasonably, when you think about it, it's actually not that bad. Yeah. But um, I'm one of, actually one of our younger members, um, and we, we've got about, like, 20 people that are, like, heavily active in it, in the club, that, you know, show up to the meetings, show up every Tuesday, and and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Probably, you know, we're trying to get more of our more uh, people are more involved in operations, and because a lot, lot, like we knew open houses, but open houses all we do is circle burn, mm. you know. And so that's what a lot of our members are used to is just circle burning, and they know, know, operate or show, know, know what, know how to operate. Mm-hmm. And uh, with, you know, I've gone to several different layouts on several different, you know, operating schemes and. Um, so I become, and that's why I love operations because it's a lot funner than just running in circles. Certainly, certainly. So in terms of like when you have a club of the size, it's it requires certain champions to um, convert, for want of a better term, introduce perhaps as a better term, uh, the the club to things like operations. Are, are you doing that? Are the folks in the club that are actively seeking yeah. to get more of the folks operating? Yes, there there's several of us that are like no pushing people more towards, you know, like when we do have an op session, um, you know, hey, because what, what we do when we have an op session is that we have, like, manifest freights mm-hmm. that go from staging, you go, go now to um, what we call our city of Detroit, and the trains get, and, um, you know, that's basically just swap blocks for blocks. Yeah. And uh, then you go back to staging. So there's no real, like, switching or anything. But... 
and then we're trying to get more people involved, like and uh, like actually doing the actual like switch jobs mm-hmm. that, that are available. You know, saying you know, and get them like then the people that do do that, you know, get them to you know run portal typically. No, 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 I no go full throttle back and forth or you know stuff like that. And it's trying to you know make it so that you know you seem it seems real. And um, and one of the other things that I like to see is um, on our trains that we have for our open houses is that the train makes sense, you know, because we're a club. So, you know, you got, you know, stuff like steam air and stuff all the way up to, you know, modern, you know, SD70s Hmm. and on the layout. And, you know, one thing I don't want to see is an SD70 pulling a string of like, you know, billboard reefer cars, (laughs) which... Makes no sense. Yeah, certainly. But, um, and, well, I think the club is doing well. Uh, we're probably in the best financial shape we've ever been in. Mm-hmm. Thanks. And oh, in large part to our treasurer, who's done a magnificent job of, you know, the, you know, nice thing for us, you know, we own the building free and clear. And so we're not going anywhere. <laughs> and we just put, like, uh, two years ago, we put our second roof on it. And now our next major building project is going to be the lighting. And this has been about 10 years since we put all CFLs in. And so we've been uh, weighing whether or not to uh, go from CFLs to um, LEDs. Mm. And uh, that's going to know why I do that all at once because um, just uh, how the way out is and to get to the lighting and the high ceiling. (laughs) Certainly. Certainly. No. Don't want to get up there twice. Interesting. Interesting. A very good point, Alex, a very good point. We have a number of folks on the call, Alex. Thank you very much for calling in and providing an update. Wonderful to hear about your basement, and certainly I'm interested yeah, to hear you. what uh, what happens with that. And yes, clubs such as yours, we need to have more folks on from clubs such as yours to give insight and analysis associated with how the successful clubs are still being run, because, yeah, it's interesting feedback yeah. that you've provided today. Thank you for that. Yeah. You're welcome. Well, Alex, you know how we do things. Please stay on the call, and uh, if anything comes up, please feel free to jump it. All right. Okay, let's see who else we have. I think in order, Neil Brody, you were probably on next. Do you have audio, Neil? Neil Brody? Hello, Tom. Hello, Neil. It's, it's been a relatively short amount of time since we last had a chance to chat, but I know you guys have done a lot of work in the kind of Christmas New Year period in preparation for shows. Do you have anything that you'd like to update us on? Well, just that uh, we've, I've actually finished installing the camera in the crane. Um, had to adjust the angle so we got the correct picture on the load. But it works extremely well. I'm very pleased. I'm able to drive the crane with it completely out of sight and uh, still pick up loads and, and move around. Wonderful. Just using the camera. Yes, it is. It's. I think it's going to really help, particularly in shows where there's a lot of people around and you can't really see yes. when they the, the hook without ducking down or lifting up. You can just sort of look down at the screen and and uh, move it move it accordingly. Wonderful. Well, Martin is providing photos in the uh, in the chat, so yeah, we're getting opportunities to see the work firsthand. In terms yeah. of actually, like obviously, there's no. I'm assuming there's no appreciable latency between the camera. So you're not dealing with any issues of lag or anything like that when you're actually trying to do detailed movements? No, the um, the crane is fairly slow moving. Um, and the winch in particular is deliberately slow. So that um, it, it mimics real life in many respects. Um, the, 
the only latency is that because of the power drain um, with the RF unit, um, it's only on for short periods of time. So um, we move the crane roughly into position, flick the camera on for maybe 20, 20 seconds or some sort of arbitrary figure which we haven't settled on. Um, so we can just do the final positioning of the hook. Mm. Um, but it takes it takes some of the guesswork out, um, which was the, which is the problem we had had before. Um, as I say, especially if there's a lot of clutter around the pickup points, you can't actually see clearly the hook going into the loads. But no, there's no latency problems. Just a two second delay when you switch the track when you switch the system on. Interesting. Which isn't which is really nothing because you once you're used to it, you don't worry about it. Mm. Purposeful movements, I guess, then, in terms yeah. of potentially getting it to work. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. The at the moment, what I'm doing is putting. I'm going to mount um, a screen on top of the transmitter, um, but I can't put the receiver, the video receiver, in the transmitter because it's a commercial transmitter, um, and there's not room for it. But we are, um, as I think we mentioned last time, building our own transmitter, which is custom built for the job. But uh, I've put that on hold because of all the additions of the screen because the size will change and mm. one of the things will change. And there's no point in doing the job twice. I don't think any of like to do that. Certainly, certainly. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to meeting you. I'm not sure what part of the, the general uh, get-together you'll be at, whether you'll be at uh, Simon's or uh, Martin's or, uh, you know, whether you'll, we'll, we'll meet you for coffee at somewhere in between. But I'm really looking forward to... Uh, to putting a face to the voice and uh yeah thank you for calling in today okay pleasure so martin as we have a, a trifecta of you three do you have audio hi tom yeah can you hear me yes i can yes i can martin one of the things that i was chatting with simon about which has also come up through the chat is associated with your particular brand of live steam in part thanks to the slow-mo but also through years of experience and actually an interest in operations as well can you talk a little bit about some of the techniques that you use for the low-speed live steam and also how it's impacted the design of your garden layout? Uh, for the steam itself, uh, the, the best thing you can do with a loco is to make sure it, it's run in well uh, so you can get the sort of best performance from it. Uh, and we like to sort of run them as near to scale speed as we can mm. rather than tearing around as you see a lot of videos of, the, of these sort of things and it is it's also helped by keeping the boiler pressure to mm. a sensible level not letting it get too over the top so there's tweaking of the gas as well as you go go along on on the run and controlling that and we've also discovered these things called slow mos which are effectively like a giant friction flywheel Mm. Uh, type of affair which takes out any uh, unevenness in the drive from a loco and slows it down and gives you very very controllable shunting Certainly. with steam engines and you've also got to be aware when you're running a steam engine they're not like electric motors where as soon as you apply some power in either direction it will move mm. whereas a steam engine depending where the piston is and the stroke of the cycle you can uh, move the regulator and a steam engine won't work. And, and initially you think, oh, crikey, I'll increase the regulator a bit more. Then suddenly it shoots off. What you've got to bear <laughs> in mind is what's happening is your uh, 
piston uh, cylinder area is empty of steam. Yeah. So that initial thing is to fill up the uh, cylinder of steam first. So that's the, effectively the delay in some instances, depending where your piston is in the, in the stroke. Uh, so you need to be aware of just touching the regulator gently, mm. let the, the steam build up in the cylinder, then it will move off nice and smoothly. So that's, yeah, that's what we, we tend to try and do. And any electric locos we've got, we have them really quite highly geared. So they're designed to have quite a high motor speed, but a very, uh, not very low, but a low actual momentum speed. Certainly, certainly. Uh, because, we, you know, the, the track and the line isn't designed for high-speed trains <laughs> shooting <laughs> off everywhere. It, it's uh, track through the garden. Uh, we try and keep it as as level and as smooth as, as you can uh but there are sort of reasonably tight radiuses in places uh through necessity but on my line i've tried to keep the minimum radius which so far has worked to five foot mm-hmm. uh, so that, that gives a sort of quite of a, a smooth uh, sort of transition for stuff uh, but yeah that's that's how we try and work around with things and uh, and, and, and nicely running stock nicely weighted stock mm-hmm. Uh, it, it all helps, and, and just paying attention to stuff. The, the more you can get right at the outset, the, the better it is. And there's no real fun uh, operating a train in the garden that, you know, every time it gets to a point, it comes off or something like that. There's, that's no fun at all. So, we, yeah, we try and work so it it's, gives us a bit of fun. And we now try to uh, operate the, the layouts rather than uh, just sort of running, running around the garden. Certainly. We sort of try and take stock from one point to another. So we have multiple stations or we planning to have multiple stations and or industrial areas to have a means for a loco or train to be run. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yes, I'm really looking forward to seeing your garden layout because I think certainly in North America, and this happens in Canada, it happens on the East Coast, the steam up phenomena of uh, letting them run at speed around loops is still very much the standard. And I think what you guys have... Uh, have championed is a, a more leisurely, more prototypical look at live steam, which I'm I'm interested in seeing on location. In terms of, I mean, we we talked relatively recently. In terms of uh, anything new, I know the the Christmas and New Year period has has been and gone. Were you able to get stuff up and running? How how's that for your model railroading hobby? Yeah, I I got as you saw on Facebook probably that I managed to get the curves uh, laid round to the uh, greenhouse mm-hmm. to continue the line past the garden so that was done and i took the opportunity to run a, a steam train on christmas day uh, in the morning so uh, that was a, a bit of a goal so that that was as far as the garden line went i've now got to continue past the greenhouse mm-hmm. uh, and round the end of the, the greenhouse to, and continue up to the garden for which i've got all the support work i've got all the track and Ken said he's got the roofing sheet that we need yes. uh, to go underneath. So it's it's all good to go. It's just getting a bit bit of time. Uh, hopefully, I'll try and get a bit more of that done before you get here. <laughs> well, so it, it's a bit of a target. So that that's certainly. always helpful. Most definitely, but, most definitely. But on the layouts wise, uh, we as a group had our first little meet up uh, this week. It's first one of the year to catch up with stuff. We uh, at the moment, uh, f- uh, most pressing thing is we've got a show this week. Uh, yes, yeah, this weekend coming up, mm-hmm. uh, Theobald's Yard. So there's the final tweaks and bits and pieces to do to that. Much, most of which has been done. There were some extra buildings to produce. Uh, there was a lean-to 
thing I laser cut. Now I've got my laser cutter sorted out and that's settled down now. Uh, produce that. And the next thing on the list for that is I've got a garret, a standard gauge garret that needs to run on the, the line. And uh, I'm going to fit a, hopefully this week, well, tomorrow, mm-hmm. I've got to get that out and fit a chip and possibly sound into that. So that'll Gosh. be ready for next week. Gosh. So I'm looking forward to that so we can run that. Uh, the lorry well, I was hoping, the second lorry I was hoping to have done, but I just haven't had time to sort of get it as far as, uh-huh. as I wanted to. But we've got the yard out at the end of this month as well. So I'm hoping I might get the lorry done for that. And Neil has, has already touched on, he's working on the camera mm-hmm. side of things for the, the crane, which should be really good. I've got uh, some controller holders to laser cut for the yard at each end, and I'm going to cut them so that they mount the controller hole at the hand unit at an mm. angle that we can just leave it on the layout. Because when we control the, the stock on the yard, it's, it's a very short run. So we just use the plus and minus buttons for speed. Gosh. Tapping them. So it, 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 we find that the most controllable. And we're not going many speed stops. I mean, the narrow gauge locos that Simon and myself have done uh, with the stayer lives, I mean, literally, they can run on speed step one. Mm. And they'll just crawl. So, you know, if we, if we ever get as far as speed step three, mm. <laughs> uh, you've already reached the end of the layout. So we find that that will work quite nicely. Uh, and, and that's to be done, which I, I shall get that done. First Sunday in June, Neil bought over the Traversa. Uh, he's now bolted and fixed all that together. So next week, we'll be looking to work out the best methods of fixing that into the baseboards itself. Mm. Uh, and I'm just started working on the drawings for Worms Hill, which is one of is the big blue diesel at mm. Redgar, which Gosh. is a Hudswell, Hudswell diesel. Uh, so I've just started drawing that in 16 mil and I'm going to do it in seven mil because I want to make versions in both scales. Mm. Uh, that's uh, quite a nice project to do. I've been enjoying that. What else have I done? Fear Yard. Yep. Spoke about that. Uh, oh, uh well it's now known as swanley junction we used to call it project sj <laughs> that's our, our club's uh new double o layout wonderful and we've gone well say we neil's uh 3d printed some updated uh point servo mounts mm. so that they now fit flush under the baseboard and worked very very well we've just been building them there's a a major road bridge that goes right across the layout and that's being built in the conventional method of sort of three mil ply and then skinned in mm-hmm. embossed uh, plastic card but for the the paving on the on the bridge it's it's modeled on the actual pathway it's quite strange it's a fairly straight bridge but the the road meanders over it for some bizarre reason i think mm. it's the banners decided to make it look a little bit pretty <laughs> anyway Long and short of it, you've got a road in the middle, and either side you've got tarmac paths of about four foot thick mm. with edge stones, or wide rather than thick. And then it's uh, the infill bits is all block paving. So I drew that up uh, on the computer and then laser cut them out of MDF and really pleased with the results. It's worked really, really quite well because that would have been quite a nightmare in four mil trying to oh, yeah. uh, hand scribe it or, or, or make sort of embossed card look that great i was quite pleased with that uh what else have we done we've got some tesla i've got to make the station canopies that's the next thing i've got to draw up but so i'll be looking to laser cut as much as that as i can uh and i think that is it and i forgot to mention last time that uh, I, 
Andy, Andy Dixon and me, we will meet up at one point <laughs> at, the, at the show. He, he was at the, the uh, big Wally show. Yes. And, uh, apparently he, he saw me. but He should have just muscled in. I don't know. Yeah, if he'd had a model rail radio t-shirt, there would have been no problem. But yeah. He, he should have just shouted at me. But yes. apparently he's seen me at a number of shows. But the layouts were on that you can never get anywhere near. So, But he has to muscle through. So definitely one day we, we will do that. But uh, yeah, that's as far as... as I've done with stuff at the moment and uh yep all there's still stuff to do there's shows there's various shows we've got shows in april mm-hmm. april and may is very busy for us certainly you know, we've, we've got about three shows with different layouts we've got two bread open days amongst other things so it's uh, quite a lot of railway sort of stuff going on i think one of the uh, themes that i'd like to tackle with you guys in the next year and certainly the feedback i've received from other listeners and uh, occasionally participants is just the energy and the planning and the methodical nature that you guys put stuff together. I mean, you were never bored. You, I mean, some of you maintain professional lives. Some of you are actually retired. You've got active families. I mean, we certainly hear that when you call in on a periodic basis. But the, the momentum that you guys are able to keep up and the quality through this momentum is really something that I think could be studied through the hobby. And certainly I've received feedback from a number of listeners. Like, how do I actually plan and coordinate this? I mean, I know you guys are, you know, big on electronic communication, a variety of other things to get stuff done. But just the methodical nature that you guys maintain multiple layouts, attend multiple shows, win awards, you know, do all these other things. I mean, I think there's a, there must be some kind of blueprint somewhere through there that other folks in the hobby can pick up. So if, if you'll humour me, Martin, over mm-hmm. the next year, I'd like to start exploring some of that with you and your crew, because certainly hearing you guys talk about it, it can become somewhat overwhelming just to listen to the amount of stuff that you guys are doing. <laughs> so it would be really interesting to start to explore how you guys kind of coordinate this. Obviously, I mean, you've known each other for many years. You've got a, a sense of everyone's strengths and everyone's, you know, weaknesses, so to speak. But there's a lot more that goes on there that I'd like to start exploring through our general conversation. So brace yourself, Martin, for the next year worth of analysis into this, because I think fascinating stuff. And I'm really looking forward to catching up with you and your crew on location. So uh, I think, I'm not sure if there's a UK, I don't think we've got a UK friendly show uh, before I head over to the UK, but I'm really looking forward to catching up with you guys. So I'll talk to you all soon. Us too, Tom. And uh, yes, d- d- do do ask away and uh, question how we do stuff. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and it, it, it is, ele- electronic is the big key mm. to everything which you, uh, you touched on. But uh, yeah, we, we can certainly cover that, how we do it. Wonderful. I'll talk to you soon, Martin. On location. Take care. Look forward to it. <laughs> Cheers, Tom. Okay. So we have a wide variety of folks still on that I wanted to cover before we get to the, uh, the end of the recording. And why do I keep clicking the same thing, which is the wrong thing? Oh, Massimo, Paris. Do you have audio, Massimo? Yes, good evening. Massimo, it's been an extraordinarily long time since we had the opportunity to chat. I see you on Facebook regularly. I keep in contact with you through Facebook in, in some regard, passively as one does through Facebook. But in terms of your model railroading hobby, what what are you up to? What's going on with your layout? What's some of the stuff that you're doing currently? Uh, well, I haven't been so busy uh, lately on the layout because I've been quite busy in my professional life. But I built um, a modular uh, SM3 uh, layout. Mm. Um, uh, and it's based in the, the southwestern U.S., 19, I would say, late 19th century, early uh, 20th century. And uh, it's quite nice because I can take it to shows if I like. So it's modular mm. with LED lighting and uh, wonderful. It's about, 
Uh, it's about 10 feet long and uh, 3 feet wide. So Nevada, California, Oregon, what part of the U.S. specifically? More uh, Arizona, I would say. Oh, Arizona. Very nice. Yeah. Lots of interesting modeling options. And in terms yeah. of the prototype, uh, how have you been able to find locomotives? Have you been able to source stuff like that? It's been quite difficult finding them in uh, Europe, absolutely, especially uh, SN3. Mm. Yeah. So, so and, uh, what manufacturers are you, are you utilizing to, to get these? Sorry? What manufacturers are you utilizing to get these uh, locomotives? Or are you kit-bashing uh, them? They're more kit-bash uh, custom-made. Mm -hmm. yeah. So in terms of it as a module, is it a single-section module? Is it a multi-section module? Uh, there's four sections. Four sections, wonderful. And how big is it roughly? Uh, I'd say it's about 10 feet by 3 feet, maybe a little longer. Hmm. And how long have you been building this particular layout? Uh, it took me about a year to build it. Okay, gosh. And you have some background building module layouts of, of a similar size. Was there any... No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was my first uh, attempt at building a modular oh, layout. was it? Okay, interesting. Interesting. So, what have you learned through the process? That was interesting, but it, it was difficult. Hmm. Difficult, and then when you attach uh, the modules, of course, that has to be properly aligned, or else it derails. Uh, easily. But it's more of a, it's of course a switching layout because it's quite narrow, so it's more of a switching layout. Mm. And in terms of structures and these kind of things, I mean, obviously, it's a very, um, I mean, that error is very uh, iconographic for want of a better term. I try to think of the term. It's such a you know interesting area to model in terms of Adobe, in terms of these kind of things. Have you got any structures on the layout? Yeah, it's basically, the theme is uh, logging, mm. small-scale uh, logging, and there's a passenger station in the middle, that's the, the focal point of Wonderful. The, the layout. Wonderful. So, less desert, more woods, basically. It's bad, yeah, so, it, it's it's quite arid, but it's still a bit woody, so I would say maybe more, uh, I guess, northern Arizona. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Interesting. Do you have figures on the layout, or is it, uh, is it bare in terms of physics? No, no, there's figures. There's a, not too much, but there's figures and cars. Uh, finding um, buildings and vehicles is less difficult because there's a lot of uh, S-scale stuff, but SN3 is quite difficult to find. Yeah, Certainly, certainly. Yeah, S-scale is perfect for uh, figures because that's basically the sweet spot for a majority of the metal and plastic figures that are manufactured for war games. So, I mean, I think yeah, exactly. you, yeah, you, yeah. you have a lot of options there. And in particular... For the uh, era that you're uh, choosing to model, uh, there's a, quite an interesting set of, uh, of figures and uh, companies that manufacture in that e era. So, yeah, very interesting, very interesting. Any chance for any yeah. photographs or anything like that on the, the Facebook page? I'd love to see photos of it. Yeah, I'll post some pictures, yeah, absolutely, on the model uh, rail radio um, page. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. So, as you listen to the show, are we missing anything? Would you like to hear more about certain areas and topics that we could uh, be covering? Well, my big layout actually is Canadian National and VRL, so it would be nice to hear more uh, Canadian uh, content. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And are you maintaining that layout? I'm not, I wasn't clear from your discussion associated with your work whether you've had to do moves or these kind of things and then move to the budget layout, or are you still maintaining this, the same place? With the no, no, the big layout is still uh, built, but uh, the progress, all the tables are built. Mm -hmm. But progress on the actual uh, scenery and even trackage has been uh, slow, but um, I tend to to progress on it. Uh, and uh, no, I, I don't anticipate any move in the short term, so I should be able to, to advance on it in the next few years. Yeah. 
Wonderful. And uh, that's really that's really my uh, the big one is more my passion. The the small one was more uh, to have something nice in the in the living room to make the living room look uh, warmer mm-hmm. and and there was space because a big bookcase left, so there was suddenly a lot of space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the big layout is more my passion. Yeah, that's the one on which I've done a lot of research, and I've actually traveled to the area and taken pictures. It's uh, based in northern Quebec, about uh, eight hours drive north of Montreal, and also a very uh, timber uh, forestry oriented uh, area. Mm, mm. The the idea of a modular layout in the living room is something certainly that I've seen uh, a few modelers do. But as you say, the nature of the modeling is uh, really very important, and in terms of I guess I keep returning to this notion of that because it is sufficiently different than your your primary layout. I mean, did you learn any scenery techniques, anything that you have taken away from the Arizona countryside that you'd like to share with the listenership? Uh, Well, I've had to build more. I've had to create interesting scenes in a very compact uh, area. Mm. So more kind of vignette scenes. Is there, are there any techniques that you picked up through that period? Do you use prototype photographs, for example? to create the scenes? Or are you looking at more kind of a feeling? It's most creating the, the general uh, atmosphere. The key thing has been not because the layout is quite small, especially it's not, there's, it's not a deep uh, layout. Um, the key is not including too much, not to clutter it. Interesting. So selectively picking what you put in there. Very exactly. Good. And also the trains have to be fairly short in order to be able to have interesting uh, switching operations. Because of course, if the trains are long, very long, it's, you can't really switch them. Certainly. Certainly. Well, it's good to catch up with you, Massimo. You are someone who is uh, called in periodically, and uh, I like this change of direction. I like this modular uh, layout and some of the experiences that you've had through that. So please stay on the call. If anything comes up, you know what to do. But thank you very much for calling into to Show 150 today. Yeah, thank you. Okay. So who do we have on that we haven't actually talked to for a while? Um, Malcolm Johnson, do you have audio? I do. Hello. I'd like to welcome on Malcolm Johnson. Malcolm, we are doing this like show 100. I'm not going to do any editing on this recording. So not that it would normally impact some of the stuff that you say, but I'm just saying that anyway. We have lost another point, another epicenter in the model rail radio community in the Bay Area. Although, <laughs> although, <laughs> and now of course my mind has gone completely blank. Uh, oh my goodness. Carolyn Pacific, are you talking about? Yes. And now I'm recording this and I'm not going to put in any editing. <laughs> 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 no pressure. No pressure. Ah. Jennifer and Jamie Fenton. Welcome yes. to my mind. We've <laughs> lost Jennifer and Jamie Fenton, although they are doing wonderful things in Chicago. Vera Sepulveda is still in the area. I still hear reports and occasional photos of Vera, but not in the hobby currently. We need to start getting more folks in Model Rail Radio in the area. But one of the things that I find fascinating, Malcolm, you've added a bridge. You've done a bunch of new stuff to your layout. Folks listening in, can you introduce your layout for a start? Do the uh, yeah. for a new caller and talk about some of the changes that you've made on the layout. Yes, well, uh, a very wise man uh, talked me about the changes, which is <laughs> helpful. But uh, yeah, my uh, layout started uh, back. Man, it must have been like eight, nine years ago now. Mm. About uh, as long got, as this podcast. Right, right. Um, I got back into the hobby and I discovered uh, Kato uh, Unitram plates that happened to fit on a dresser of mine. So I got back into it that way. And when I ordered it, I got very excited and I ordered a bunch of stuff, too much stuff to fit in my little San Francisco apartment. So some of the stuff went to my office and some stayed at home. And that was the case for a a long while where I had two different, you know, um, 
mm. kind of worlds uh, in, at work and at home. And then we did a, a move over to Oakland here, and I got a, a nice layout location mm-hmm. and office uh, in a detached garage, and I was able to bring everything together. And in my usual impulsive way, I kind of was like, oh, I got to get this going now and, and just put everything together. So I rushed it and didn't think a lot of stuff through. I didn't do, uh, you know, um, computer track plans or anything. I just basically got a bunch of track and put it together. And it was working out great for a while. But then when I started getting into running trains more than just doing the scenery, which was my primary focus uh, initially is, you know, buildings and scenery and scenes, Mm. I started finding out that I had this mainline kind of loop that I could run my high-speed trains on and the like, but I only had like a very short uh, freight area, Mm. basically going from one side of the layout to the other, and it was just a point-to-point, and it was very unsatisfying. And uh, we had a couple of conversations about it uh, through uh, Model Rail Radio, Mm -hmm. and you wisely said, you know, if you're not happy with it, just, you know, change it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I did. And now I have this layout that I love where I can actually run freight on the main line and run my high speed rail on there and, and do switching and do some very light operations and, and the like. And I love it. And so I got that all dialed in and now I'm, I'm starting to detail uh, a lot of the, the stuff, which is you know, one of my passions, like creating these little scenes. Certainly. That, yeah. And the like, so it's it's been uh, fantastic. Is the bridge new? Am I right in seeing the bridge and thinking that's actually a new piece of scenery, or was that just something that I'd missed when I'd seen it the layout previously? Uh, are you talking about the 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 gray kind of rail bridge? Mm-hmm. No, that that was there. Was it interesting? Yeah, but it that's part of the the new um, the new kind of section. I think it was hidden away before. Uh, okay. And when I raised the track and and put in the you know the new design mm-hmm. then that got brought to the forefront interesting interesting because i was yeah i guess i mean i've followed your layout through various times and various changes but when i saw that and maybe it's just the as you say the promotion of the bridge to a point of uh, of you know notoriety but yeah it was interesting to see that i think ah maybe that's an addition that malcolm's put on the layout <laughs> one of the things that i love about your layout as well is it's so heavily integrated with your family life uh, certainly your daughters are actively involved. You you have the best wine and cheese selection of any visit <laughs> to, to the layout, which uh, I, I'm not a wine drinker, unfortunately, but uh, it always appeals to me that this is a, a very, considered a very highbrow hobby um, by your wife. And it is wonderful to, to come and uh, to visit your layout periodically. So folks listening, can you talk a little bit about integrating your daughters in the, the process? Because, I mean, they are very active or at least seem to, appear that they're very photogenic which helps as well but they're very active um in in your layout as well could you talk a little bit about that about that sure uh, they're they're still pretty young um i have a eight-year-old and, and now six-year-old she mm. just turned six and they really like the layout and they love uh you know running you know trains on the layout and they have sparked up an interest in pursuing their smaller layout as well mm. so i had I had started it with them, but they were very young and they, they weren't really that interested. And now they've started hounding me where it's just like, we need to work on our layout. So <laughs> that's kind of exciting. I have to figure out where it's actually going to go. But uh, yeah, they, they really like it. And the scale is a little hard for them to work with. It's mm-hmm. end scale. Yes. Uh, it's very small and the, and the trains are you know kind of a little more delicate. But they love the idea of it. So I think this winter uh, we're going to put together their little layout. And if they really 
get into it and, and want to pursue it more, then we'll probably expand their layout to be a little bit larger so they can have some more fun with it. It is such a fascinating hobby to introduce to, to children in particular that play and design and aesthetics and really just make-believe more than anything can be maintained into adulthood in a very productive and uh, enlightened fashion. And I think what I find fascinating with your layout is the fact that it's an homage as well to a particular kind of uh, Japanese life that certainly appeals to many of us. My father periodically uh, goes to Japan. I don't, unfortunately. But he loves, and even when he lived in Hong Kong as well, he loved just these tiny little industries that crop up in neighborhoods. You've got, you know, a guy repairing motorcycles next to a guy repairing toasters next to a guy, you know, making medical equipment next to a guy. You know, you have all these little cottage industries that are kind of layered. You have it beautifully in your layout. But also, you have an interesting mix of the kind of large plastic Cato-style, you know, skyscrapers and then, you know, little fishing vignettes and other things. I mean, you've been able to kind of juxtapose all these things beautifully together. And uh, yeah, I can understand your daughter's interest in your layout because certainly as a, a periodic visitor, visitor I, I share that interest. So hats off to what you do, Malcolm. Thank you so much. So it's show 150. Obviously, we still have your mug from show one. <laughs> if I do anything, I collect artifacts associated with Modern Rail Radio. It's, it's, 100 was just such an unbelievable experience. It was uh, bringing together so many different people. We had uh, Terry Terrence uh, and Jim Lincoln fly in. It was really an overwhelming experience of uh, an outpouring, basically, of uh, doing this thing in podcast form. And certainly, I encourage other folks to, to start podcasts. We've got Lionel and a bunch of new podcasts that are coming up. Um, currently, but the social benefits of recording a podcast and bringing people together. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I would have met someone such as yourself without doing this podcast, Malcolm. So it really is a pleasure to, uh, to connect with folks such as yourself in this part of the world. As you listen into the podcast, are, are we missing any topics? Are there any things that you'd like to hear more about? We don't seem to be covering in scale as we once did. I don't know what, so what's happened with that, but what, what kind of topics would you like to hear more of on Model Rail Radio? My, my personal uh, love is just to hear about all these different layouts and all these different parts of the world um, mm. and just being able to interact with people. I, you know, I do it through Model Rail Radio and I do it through Instagram. Um, I'm part of a few forums and it's just amazing to share layouts and ideas with people all over the world. I think it's a, we live in a, an amazing time uh, from a technology standpoint where, you know, we can actually translate back and forth. I, I talked to a few people in Japan, um, follow their Instagram pages and the like. And I would just love if more people called in and talked about their layout. I know my friend Rios, uh, I did an interview with him. I think he put it up on, on Model Rail Radio, but his his major thing was that it was hard for him to actually follow the, the English, so it was mm -hmm. hard for him to call in. Uh, so what I did was I just I slowed it down for him and, and asked him questions and you know gave him some time to think about it. And then he did some editing and was able to put it up. So I think that's another way that people could participate mm. is, you know, if they do want to talk about their layouts, but, you know, there is a, a language barrier or, or something to that effect, you know, another way to go is, you know, to, to record it and, you know, edit it yourself or, or have someone edit it for you and, and get it up there. Because I love hearing about layouts from all over the world. That's the big thing for me. Certainly, certainly. I mean, as uh, 
as Jim Gifford and uh, Roz have done, as many people have done as well, you can also go and actually see these layouts too. I mean, one of the amazing benefits I've had through Model Rail Radio is meeting a bunch of people the world over and just traveling and, and finding friends in, you know, Wales and Kent and you know, mm -hmm. all over Australia and, as you say, in, in Asia, Southeast Asia and, uh, you know, broader areas, Hong Kong, Taiwan. It is an amazing community. And, uh, yeah, certainly keep doing what you're doing, Malcolm. I really appreciate the stuff that you do with your blog and uh, just general, you know, photographic endeavors. And uh, I'm a big fan of your Instagram feed as well. I've got to give a shout out to your Instagram feed too. Oh, uh, because, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, in terms of... Uh, it's not really a vignette a day. Sometimes it's three vignettes a day. Sometimes it's a vignette every other day. But you do get a lot of really interesting... Uh, and the thing that strikes me about your layout is you pack so many vignettes into a small space. You mentioned the bridge, which I had missed, because there are so many different vignettes on your layout. And I think it's a, an interesting way of modelling that you capture so many different vignettes on a layout, which really isn't that big. It's not, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's all relative, of course. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I love the density of it. I love packing these little scenes in and, and uh, taking photographs of them. Part so, of the fun. Well, Malcolm, you know how we do things. Thank you very much for calling in. Thanks for providing an update. And uh, yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Take care. You too. Thanks for all you do, Tom. Okay. So we still have a number of folk on the call who I haven't had a chance to talk to. I'm kind of doing it in reverse order. Uh, Mike Kennefeck. I'm not sure. Do we have any update? <laughs> Can we talk so frequently? Or we talk so recently? I'm not sure if you have an update to provide. Um, not a lot, really. I've just been, uh, since we last spoke, I've just been persevering with my uh, structure kit on of the uh, Ooh, yes. CP uh, number nine station. <laughs> but, uh, applying uh, um, strips and strips of shingles, which seem to be taking, taking a long time. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, that, that's that's about all. What, what I was what one question did occur to me just mm -hmm. now, actually talking about the um, the, the world reach of, uh, of of model rail radio. I just wondered about how many UK people w we actually have. I don't don't see a lot of, of evidence, and I, I don't know. I just I was going to ask Simon actually whether he. Um, publicizes it at all when he takes his layout or uh, to, to these various shows, whether um, it gets talked about and whether anyone um, um, anyone shows any interest. I suspect that possibly, um, I don't know whether podcasting isn't, hasn't really caught on so well in the UK yet. I, I wonder what your what me, you found. Me, in me personally, I, I can say that the UK uh, historically was the second or third greatest downloader of the podcast. Okay. I think it's now the fourth da greatest downloader of the podcast. The US and Canada, the US, Canada, Australia, and the UK jostled heavily. The US is a substantial portion. It was about 50%. It's now about 70%. Podcasts have increased in the US, and I, you might be right. I don't know what the phenomena is with the UK, but the US has just increased its podcasting capacity probably in the past, I don't know, three to five years. The statistics that I get through Apple as well, which are different than my general statistics, seem to indicate that the UK isn't as strong in podcasting as uh, the statistics I keep in general, but that just could be Apple specifically. It's very difficult to get a general sense of the, um, the listenership. I mean, the way that I gauge it associated with just meeting people um, isn't the best possible way to do that. In terms of downloads, uh, 
it was at 8%. Um, I think it's now down to maybe 4 or 5% uh, of the total in the UK. But I think that's mainly because the US has just become a juggernaut of podcasts in the past four or five years. I think there's been a lot more media in the US associated with podcasts. People, um, it's just pretty well omnipresent. The phenomena really here is that there are many, many, many more podcasts that are being produced within the US. And mm -hmm. that is a very real thing. There was a competition recently very similar to, you know, these um, talent voting shows where they had uh, 5,000 podcasters enter um, mm. of, of people that wanted to create new podcasts. So mm. um, the US podcasting landscape, for want of a better term, has changed dramatically. I would be more than happy for anyone of uh, Simon uh, Martin et al.'s crew to put up a little model rail radio, you know, Thing. And if people wanted to hear more about the layout, then they could tune into Model Rail Radio. I mean, any kind of side promotion, which I certainly was much better about doing in the first maybe three to five years of the podcast than I am now, anything like that would be much, you know, would be of benefit, obviously, for the stuff that I'm doing. But I think, in general, the US podcasting environment has changed dramatically. Um, the UK, I don't know. I mean, I see um, celeb the celebrity podcasting thing is still there in the UK. But in terms of actual individuals producing podcasts, um, I don't know. It's culturally very different than it is here. Uh, mm. here. Everyone wants to be a star. Everyone wants to be, you know, in the UK, for very good reasons, people actually quite enjoy privacy. And, you know, the notion of privacy and projection is very different uh, in these two countries. Um, but mm. certainly the stuff that I'm seeing indicates that the US, uh, through a variety of factors, is very um, strong currently. Um, yeah. and, uh, who knows? I mean, my perspective is it just requires, uh, a kind of community involvement and the thing, word of mouth has been the primary way that model radio has gotten out, uh, to so many people. So mm. yeah, I, but I, I do agree. I think things are changing. I think it's a very interesting time. I'm not sure. Uh, I mean, I've, I've advocated for at least participants in the show to wear model radio t-shirts. Um, and I remember, uh, Tom Cutting. Uh, wears uh, the shirts. I know uh, Martin uh, has a shirt that I've seen him in periodically as well. So, I mean, these kind of things would give some indication. And certainly in the US shows, um, and Lionel Strang, obviously, with The Modelist Life has been very good for this as well, you do see people wearing T-shirts. And that's a good indication at the shows, at least. Um, and it's always really just very overwhelming to be at a trade show and see someone wearing a Model Rail Radio T-shirt. I mean, it really gives me an amazing sense that I have actually done something um, you know, quite quite productive in at least some people's lives. And occasionally I know the people wearing the shirts as well. So, yeah, I think there are a wide variety of things, but I just don't know what the UK market I haven't had. It hasn't been in the top three for probably at least three or four years now. Not because mm. we don't have great UK content, but I just think the way podcasts are being done, um, changing a little bit. Um, any, of the other, any of the UK folk... Want to talk more about this, Simon, Martin, Neil, anyone? Um, we've always publicised it within our own little group. And as Martin just said, we can put it on all the forums over here. I used to have lots of the leaflets when I had the trade stand and a lot went out and people did say they listened. So I think a lot of people listen but don't actually get involved. Mm. So, And you probably find from the, the Facebook page, there's quite a few people in the UK Certainly. using that as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's always saying we can push more. It's not a problem. We can put some le leaflets out when we take the layout out. That's not yes. a problem. Armbands, that's what we need, yes. No, <laughs> I, look, my view is thank you. I mean, thank you. That's all I can say associated with this. Um, but, yeah, I mean, to, to Mike 
get a fixed point. I think it's just a different culture associated with podcasts. And it may require, I mean, here it required, it was primarily NPR, which is the local public radio, um, you know, the equivalent of the BBC, basically, uh, here for radio. But they also had commercial spin-offs that they did. So they have um, what's called Gimlet Media, um, This American Life, which is not actually, I actually work with a <laughs> on this as well. So, I mean, they were very big here associated with how they use the media and the BBC, although the BBC has a lot of podcasts, doesn't really do the same thing. Um, so, interesting, interesting. But look, if if we need to update the flyers, if we need to actually create a cross-promotional flyers button associated with your, your crew, um, let's let's get that done. Let's, I mean, let's make sure that you guys have... Uh, Flyers say, if you'd like to hear more about this layout, tune into Model Rail Radio. Because I think that's that's fair cross-promotion. So thank you for the question, Mike. Yes, I wonder whether um, maybe it's a couple of things. As you say, that I, I come across a lot of people who um, who don't, you know, if I'm saying that I listen, to, I listen to a podcast on something or other, um, it's fairly clear that they've never even considered any, mm. <laughs> even that podcasts exist, probably, and uh, and, and also I wonder whether um, uh, there might be an element of you know the, the fact that the majority, obviously, of the content is 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 North American, which is fine for me. Um, whether they feel that, oh well, it doesn't you know doesn't really apply to to us then because it's all American. Obviously, Simon's crew um, uh, didn't didn't find that <laughs> yeah. um, an issue uh, and um, in fact I'd be interested to know sort of what um, prompted them to to uh, partake in a, a predominantly um, North American podcast that would be quite interesting to given that they don't actually model the, the, the North American prototype. I do. Do you? Ah right. <laughs> yeah a little bit of Owen 30. That's in shed. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> and that's all Tom's fault, actually, because uh-huh. if I hadn't listened to the podcast, I wouldn't be doing this layout. Very good. I like to be a troublemaker in these regards. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, what is the origin? Who? One of your crew was like the first to listen. It was Neil the first to listen in, and then he converted the rest of your crew. I can't remember the the origin story with how your crew got involved with Model Rail Radio. Uh, I think it started with Martin. Oh, okay. Um, and then I came on, and Martin said, "Oh, you're on, and I'm not." So Martin joined. Very good. Oh, that's right. So Martin was the listener. Then you actually called into the show first, and then Martin. Very good. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I was the long-term listener. Right. And I, ca- I cannot remember why I started listening to it or mm. how I first found out about it. But uh, I, for me, it was the early days. I learned a lot about DCC. That's mm. when I first learned about JMRI. Oh, yes. And frog juices. Oh, yes. And, and it, it was all that stuff that I found like re- really, really useful. And it opened up suppliers and, and new ideas uh, coming from America mm. on this sort of stuff. And then opening up to sort of Australian modelers, Canada and European modelers mm. and various other things. I mean, I also enjoyed very much that uh, Chris Abbott was, oh, was yes. Fantastic to listen to. He, yes. he was just like a comfy pair of slippers. Yes. You, know, you could listen to him all day. He's very knowledgeable, and and I found it uh, also that helped a lot because uh, Chris and yourself knew a lot about the UK scene, which surprised me. I don't know why I should be surprised, but uh, coming from uh, America and, and Australia, that you, you knew as much about our suppliers and scene, and sometimes more than that we actually did. 
And I thought that was that was quite impressive. And I think I then told Simon about it, and he started listening. And then he he called in before I ever did. <laughs> <laughs> Beat you so, to it, yes. Yeah, so I, I thought I think I, the Australian scene is very much, and I really, I mean, as a boy, I would attend uh, an annual show. I can't really talk too much, but the, the lack of uh, ready-to-run prototype equipment has meant that Australians know vast quantities of information about US and UK manufacturers. I mean, because they have to kit patch from things, and I mean, many of them do dabble as well um, in UK and uh, North American prototypes, but the Australian scene is very much based on folks that have historically never had ready to run anything. Um, and like most obsessive hobbies, they then become very obsessed with, you know, knowing intricacies. And then, I mean, that's the nature of Australian hobbies in general. I think, um, you know, Australians will gravitate to obsessive hobbies where there's nothing available um, in Australia. I was in Australia a couple of times ago and I bought a, um, what do they call them? The, the flyers, the gyrocopter and kind of things the oh the drones. drones yeah yeah and the australian drone culture is all about just you know importing stuff illegally from hong kong and then kit bashing it and then i mean even in drones where you think oh you know that they're, they're omnipresent the australian drone community and I, I follow a fellow on youtube in new zealand who does drones as well it's the same thing it's just you're on an island you don't have the stuff that you need you've got to learn about how to get the stuff um but with chris i mean the uk prototype scene in, in Canada is huge. I mean, he has a, a convention which is substantial in size, uh, very close to him. So, yeah, I think what you find is an interesting cross-pollination. But it's interesting also that Mike thinks that this is a North American show. I've never thought of Model Rail Radio as a North American show at all. Um, but also because of the subtleties within North America, prototype modelers, is, you know, they're just distinctly the East Coast and the West Coast are, you know, distinctly different things. So, it's interesting to think of this maybe because of the accents and these kind of things that a model rail radio is a North American show. But thank you very much, Mike, for uh, for kicking off that relatively uh, <laughs> podcast-centric topic. But yeah, interesting, interesting ideas. Thank you, Mike, for that. And thanks, Martin and crew, um, for uh, for chiming in as well. So uh, who else do we have on the call that I haven't heard? Dave Barraza, you similarly are someone who I, I believe I've spoken to very, very recently, unless you have something... New and exciting you want to update us with, Dave Brazza, anything? I, I do have a small update. Okay. Uh, uh, a couple shows back I had talked about the super long turnouts. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I assume that Fast Tracks thought my email was a joke, even though it promised sushi. Mm. But uh, it, uh, listening to your sister podcast, mm -hmm. the one that actually did spin off your podcast, mm -hmm. uh, I found out that Phil Monat had laid all his own turnouts without jigs, mm. without using a fixture. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I sent him a drawing, and I said, do you think it would be fun to build one of these? And he said, yeah. And I said, I would love to watch you build one so that I could build the rest of them myself. Mm. So, um, you know, everybody should... Or, and we're, we're talking about here about, year. we're talking about 20s, right? This is the... Twinkies? 20s, 20s. Oh, to, uh, they're going to be a number 24, yes. 24, sorry, I knew there was my, in the 20s. <laughs> My selective compression went is such that it's going from a number thirty two point seven on the prototype down to a number twenty four on the okay, layout. Okay, interesting. Uh, it's still going to take you know many many feet per crossover as yes. opposed to inches. Um, but Phil is willing to build one for me in situ here once mm -hmm. I make space for it, and uh, I, hopefully in the process I'll learn how to handle turnouts. Gosh. That's the update. 
Very good. <laughs> I like twenties to Twinkies. That works very well. <laughs> yeah, well, it's hopefully when it's done, it's going to be like eating a bunch of twi- Twinkies, and I'll look at it and go, oh. oh, yes, very good, very good. Well, Dave, thank you for calling in, and thanks for the for the update. And uh, yes, the sister podcast. Ah, always. I was hoping that we might get one of those folk on, but maybe maybe in the uh, the PM version. You've got of a whole second show happening. Believe today, me, yeah. three hours, three hours. So yes, Dave, always a pleasure catching up. I will chat with Mike Slater, however, before I round out this call. Mike Slater, do you have audio? Uh, yes, I do. So I'm not going to do any audio editing on this one. So um, just a warning in advance, not that you ever fall into anything which ever needs heavy editing anyway. But um, in terms of model rail radio as a phenomenon, we're at show 150. If we can reflect before we get an update on your model rail riding hobby. You are probably, my wife says to me, regularly actually, far too regularly, you know, maybe it's just time that you pass the baton on to Mike Slater and let him host Model Rail Radio. Maybe it's time that Mike Slater picked up Model Rail Radio as his hobby full-time. And it's like, no, you don't understand the working relationship that I have with Mike Slater. Like, you are, you are Chris Abbott for me now. I mean, as Chris Abbott has, has gone on to do bigger and better things with uh, role-playing and gotten out of the hobby... You have filled in a gap on a wide variety of different levels. Really, Model Rail Radio wouldn't be here if it weren't for you, Mike Slater, um, for all the stuff that you do behind the scenes and all the kinks that you work out. And one of the things I really have enjoyed about meeting you, but also working with you over many years, is that you are like the glue in your Model Rail Radio community as well. You don't have, seem to have a political or agitated bone in your body. The stuff that you deal with on a regular basis just leaves me kind of cringing in terms of like if I had to do the stuff that you have to do just in general terms. Can you talk a little bit about Model Rail Radio, your own philosophy with regards to this thing, and just just opine about anything that you want to opine about? Well, I would say Model Rail Radio is probably one of the greatest uh, communities that I've been involved with. Met so many great people around the world. Uh, Being able to uh, go to Indianapolis uh, be able to sit down uh, at the um, hotel uh, tavern and be able to drink a few beers with some uh, fine folks from Australia. Oh, yeah. And when the bartender asked us how long we've known each other, and we, when we told him, well, we've only been talking with each other for about a year and a half, two years on Skype, and this is the first time we've ever met face-to-face, um, it's uh, a really, really great thing. Um, as far as being a, a U.S. centric or a European centric in the hobby, uh, I could care less uh, what prototype uh, the individual is modeling, as long as they're getting enjoyment out of what they're modeling and what they're doing. Um, I can sit down and, and listen to somebody uh, talking about the, uh, a British prototype, even though I may not personally model it. There may be some of those hidden modeling tidbits that. I may be able to use in my modeling. So Certainly. it's um, uh, just a, a great, uh, great group and great uh, uh, bunch of uh, uh, people on the group. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Well, I think you've rounded out perfectly the part one of two parts for show 150. Thanks to everyone for calling in today. I was, you know, Mike's been on some of these calls recently. We've had a few that have been a little slow associated with number of callers. But certainly today, we had a wide variety of different folk to catch up with. I'm looking forward to the same thing happening with part two. Uh, Thanks to everyone for calling in today. Thanks to the folks for listening in. Good morning.
Good morning, morning, Tom. Yep. Good morning. Good afternoon. Well, I'm not sure how many of you are going to be back for part two, but uh, yeah, it looks like it's going to be quite interesting. A number of folks calling in. Thank you uh, for uh, for participating this morning. I'll talk to some of you soon. Take care. Yep. Bye. Thanks. Take care, Tom. Bye. Bye. Bye.